We would like to acknowledge the traditional custodians of the land on which this podcast is produced, the Wajak Noongar people, and pay our respects to their elders, past, present and emerging. Good afternoon, Courtney. Hi, Craig. How are you going? <laughs> Good, thanks. So we're just having a chat, um, maskless, outside, socially distanced. Oh, yeah. Uh, after doing a, a really nice virtual conversation with Professor Camilla Anderson and Mr. Peter Corner from uh, Comic Book Contracts and also the UWA Law School. Yeah, yeah. So we, we did have a, a very good online chat with them about their their company. Yeah. Their company and guess, research collaboration. Yeah. yeah. I think it's like it, I was getting the sense that Peter sort of handles a lot of the company type stuff and mm. Camilla gets the benefit of being able to do the research, the research that follows it. to see what impact it's had. Yeah, so their, their company is um, comic book contracting and they create visuals for contracts. Yeah. Essentially. Yeah. Yeah. So it's, it's just a way like kind of, I guess, more simply communicating the terms of a contract or, hmm. you know, helping parties understand what each side is agreeing to. Yeah. And you may yeah. ask yourself, how on earth does that relate to health? Um, but you'll have to listen to the conversation yeah. to find it, the answer to that question. It does. Yeah. We, we do cover health towards the we end do. of our conversation. Um, and I, I suspect there'll be a bit more work happening in the health space. As they, They'd have to as be, as right? On. Yeah. yeah, absolutely. Yeah. But without further ado, let's let you listen to... Camilla and Peter. Yeah, <laughs> yeah no, that's great. But would you like oh. to introduce us or how do you normally start these recordings? Yeah, so if I'll, I'll just um, welcome you to the podcast. So it's really great to have... Professor Camilla Anderson, and uh, are you, you're not a doctor, are you, Peter? I'm not a doctor. Okay, so, pe- and Mr. I have Mr. a Peter master's, Corner. so you can call me master if you want. But Ma- master not Peter necessary. Corner. <laughs> 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 it was great to have you guys on the podcast, so really appreciate you making the time. Um, did you, do you want to introduce yourselves, uh, just give us a bit of a brief background about where, where you're at, where you've come from? You know, anything that you find interesting sure. about yourself? Uh, yeah. We're both Danish. Um, so yeah. both uh, Peter and I hail from icy north in Scandinavia, from Denmark. Uh, we have lived in Australia for the last nearly nine years. My God, time is going fast. <laughs> <laughs> I am a professor at the law school at UWA, and I have been um, working in international commercial and comparative law for a very long time. And then about six years ago, I started this really strange project that was just initially meant to be a favor for a friend, Adrian in engineering, who wanted a a visual contract for his his non-disclosure agreement for students. Uh, Came about on a drunken evening in Brisbane where he was telling me how awful um, contracts were, how confrontational legal agreements were, and just how dreadful my profession is. And uh, I couldn't really disagree with that, <laughs> but I did get a bit aff- confronted. So I said, well, what, what the hell do you want, Adrian, a comic book? Mm-hmm. Uh, sorry, what the heck do you want? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and we sort of laughed at it. And, and then the next day we met up and we agreed, yeah, let, why don't we just do that? Um, and that's where um, that's where sort of Peter got involved because his, his historical research degrees made him a really good um, research assistant to find out a little bit more about images in law in the past. It turns out it's not actually a new thing. It's been around thousands of years ago, and now we're just bringing it back. So mm. <laughs> trying to make sure that we, we make these agreements that are different, that are visual, people actually read them. And for the last six years, we've been doing some longitudinal um, psychometric surveys on the impact of them. We're looking at comprehension, engagement, and perception. Um, and there's so many different contracts we've done now with so many different directions in the research it's it's, it's really cool mm. so that's a little bit about me so do you want to talk a bit more about yourself uh Peter? sure sure uh as camilla said i i found it fascinating the way that she was convinced that they you know found out the world was round again uh, <laughs> because because historically uh, laws and rules had to be communicated uh, in a non-written way because 90 percent of the population couldn't read and write and we've kind of gone full circle now because the legal language has become so complex and, and alien that 90% of us can't read and write that. Um, so, so now the images have to come back. 
And as Camilla started doing this project, um, more and more sponsors turned up. They wanted comic book contracts and she kept turning them away because it was the same before the camera came on. When Camilla works on a project, it can take years to do because she works toward perfection. That's how academia works. They have to push the limit of what we can achieve. So I set up my tiny little company to do exactly the same thing, but fast and cheap and dirty um, to get them out. Not dirty. They're not dirty. (laughs) (laughs) Um, But they're definitely fast. And Peter, is that something that you've always thought of doing? And is your background in history and law, or how did you get to that? No, no, my history is just in my background, it's just in history. But I was, uh, I had to spend a lot of time at home because I had to homeschool our son. Um, so, so I had spare time and, and energy, and, and it, it was just a project, no one was doing it, and it felt worthwhile doing. And then could have knocked me with a feather when he actually did create this company because he kept saying that, why don't we just do that? And I said, look, I don't have the energy for that. You do it. And then he did it, which is amazing. (laughs) Um, And it's also, it's actually a really good cross-pollinization with a lot of research because, as he said, he can do it a lot faster than me. He doesn't have to go through ethics committees. He doesn't have to get clearance and and, and university projects can be a little slow, as we all know, uh, sometimes. So he can turn around quite a lot of contracts really fast and, and quite inexpensively for his clients. And many of them then allow me to do some research on the impact of the contracts that he's created. So it's it's a really good cross-pollinization. Yeah, that's brilliant. Uh, can I ask, Peter, as soon as you've got a history background, um, do you want to give us a brief synopsis of the history of um uh, these sort of comic book or virtual, vis- sorry, visual contracts? Well, it, that's not originally my specialty, but uh, the, the use of visual art to explain uh, the law goes back as far as we can go. And if we look at medieval uh, legal texts, they're all illustrated, with these beautiful law books. And, and often we even have pictures of the courtroom so that you, you know, you'd know what to expect. Um, in the 17th century in England, you have these travel books that tourists get that explains the dangers of London and, and the criminal ramification of you know, pickpockets and stuff. Um, but somewhere around the Reformation, the church seizes all the pictures and, and the law profession goes off with no pictures in their law. Um, and, and it just slowly went that way. And for some reason, lawyers are incredibly risk averse. They're not, it's not a profession that um, innovates very easily, uh, to put it nicely. And I don't think anyone's just ever really thought of how cool it would be to bring the images back into the law. Um, the moment we started doing it, like I said, I didn't think it was a research project initially, but after that first uh, non-disclosure agreement that we did for the UWA Makers Club over in engineering, the interest that, that I got from industry was overwhelming. I mean, ABC Radio heard about it on their Law Reports show, um, and they interviewed me with a colleague in South Africa, Robert DeRoy, who specializes in making visual contracts for um, illiterate people, so people who can't read. Mm. He does a lot of access to justice stuff. Um, we were doing this at the same time on different parts of the planet, and so we were joined together um, in the show. And I got about 500 emails the next day from people who were really interested in this and wanted to to hear more. I had to hire an RA to help me go through them all, (laughs) Um, including a lot of of emails from interested artists who wanted to work on the project like this and had been trying to get the law to embrace art more for years. And it's really, Mm, yeah, it it was just eye-opening how how radically... I think uh, one of the reasons that that, um, that the pictures were were lost and are coming back is because the law used to be based, at least in the West, very much on Christian morality. So, mm-hmm. so the images the church showed you of rightful living matched the law because the morality was based on that. But we kind of moved away from that. And, and much of law, we don't know what the underlying morality is. I mean, necessarily. Well, so the image is kind of necessary, again, to explain what the intent is. Mm-hmm. It's true. I mean, one of the things that we focused a lot on um, in the contracts that we've done, especially in the early years, was developing the correct behavioral drivers. So asking the question, what kind of behavior do we need to see to avoid conflicts in these contracts? What is it that we need to focus on? Um, Very often we're simplifying and and a lot of words meet the cutting room floor when we edit them down to simplify and visualize. But sometimes we're also adding. So putting in behavioral drivers to make sure that the contract is better understood. 
And it's also very relational. So relational contracting, again, not a new thing that's from the 60s, but it really got a renaissance a few years ago when um, Holm and Melstrom were given a, a Nobel Prize for suggesting that having nice contracts built on good relationships could be very economically feasible. <laughs> so if you're wondering... Why does anyone get an actual Nobel Prize for suggesting something though obvious? I think it just underlines the fact that law has not been innovating very well. Mm. <laughs> but relationship for one. Mm. Well, yeah. <laughs> now, do you mind if we just take a step back? Because I think we've already covered a lot of very, very interesting things, and I think there's going to be a lot of questions about what you've already said. Um, how did you come up with the idea of calling them comic book contracts? And ah. do they actually look like a comic book? But yes, they do. Um, okay. for, those, for those who want to to see, I think the most easy one to access right now is if you Google Bank West Terms and Conditions on their Easy Transaction account, mm-hmm. they are now using um, a comic book contract that we developed for them uh, over a three-year research project. And oh. we're working with them on, on lots of other stuff as well. Um, but you can also go to our website, www.comicbookcontracts.com. There are lots of examples there. We... We have varying degrees of imagery in the contracts, but mm-hmm. my idea was as a researcher in, in my ivory tower, I think it's my role to push the envelope, uh, to provoke and to break the mold. Uh, if we if we go to some projects or some uh, clients, they prefer us to call it visual law because it sounds so much more serious. <laughs> yeah. um, <laughs> but we had the world's first comic book contract conference in, in 2017. Um, and I, I very deliberately picked that label to make it sound provocative, you know, to break the mold and to make people realize that it's something completely different. I refer um, to my well, products as visual contracts. Yeah, because he has to sell them to serious people. So mm-hmm. I mm-hmm. <laughs> but I also only do about half of them as comics, and, and lots yeah. of them are picture-enhanced instead. But that is a perfect example of how using language for different audiences is incredibly important, even just in Absolutely. the name of the contracts that you're creating. so Absolutely. But, but I a- like the label comic book contract because I think it is very provocative and it is what's needed. I mean, we need to think about contracts as something a little bit less stern. Um, they're still serious. Um, the, one of the, the key rules I was given on the first sponsored project we had for Oricon uh, was to be playful with serious intent. Um, and I think that really sums up the whole nature of the product. That was one of their values in their company that they wanted us to to put into their employment contract, which, by the way, won an award for business communication. Um, So that was really lovely to be recognized. Um, But that playfulness with serious intent, I think that's what contracts can be. And if you then use that playfulness to engage people into actually reading them and to then understand what they're meant to do so that there are no conflicts, we've actually seen a complete dispute elimination across all the contracts that we have created over the last six, six years, which is really quite extraordinary. Mm. So it, just, is a, it is ironic that companies will spend billions trying to get you to go onto their Facebook side or, or engage with their company in any way. And the moment you said, yes, sure, you look great, instead of giving you something inviting with their actual terms of agreement, they give you nonsense. Um, well, it's not nonsense, honey. <laughs> <It's all. laughs> Just to give a bit of background to people who might not be, I think most people would know what a contract is, but do you just want to sort of outline the basic elements, Camilla, as, as to what's required for a contract to be to be binding? And we can go from sure. there. Sure. So it, it really, it's one of the, I told you I teach comparative law, and it's one of the most interesting questions when you look at internationally how you define contracts slightly differently. But essentially, there are no form requirements for contracts in most of the world. They don't have to be in a specific form. They can be verbal. They can be anything you like. Um, They don't have to be signed. People usually think that, but it's not true. What they do have to do is, is provide a framework for some kind of meeting of minds. There has to be an agreement. And the key here is always intent. So we traditionally have a signed piece of, of paper that outlines the intention of the parties in a contract, but it doesn't have to be boring. It doesn't have to be that way. It could be a cartoon. We have had some really interesting uh, suggestions from students who are doing uh, one of my units teaching alternative contracts, suggesting that they can be in meme format. Um, we have had little contract video snips. We've had um, contracts for the, the deaf, which are entirely made up of descriptions um, of different behavioral norms. So 
there's the sky's the limit. Contracts don't have to look a certain way. I think it's a very common misunderstanding. It is useful, however, to have something that can be interpreted, um, that can provide an evidence of that framework if there is a dispute or a disagreement down the road. Um, so as a lawyer, I would I would strongly suggest that people are very aware of that need to, to maintain something that evidences the agreement just in case there is a problem. Other than that, sky's the limit. Make your own contract. Make it fun. Go. Mm. <laughs> so it's, it's worth remembering that contracts are bound by the law. You, you can't make clauses in your contract that violate the basic law. So, so oftentimes these contracts, they have all these clauses that are just repeating what is a legal requirement anyways. Mm. Sometimes, especially the employment contracts we have worked in, we've taken out huge chunks of regurgitation of statutory requirements and simply put in a web link to the current statute mm. that now applies. Because when the law changes, of course, so will then the contract and the contract can be misleading if it regurgitates outdated law. So yeah. that's a much more dynamic way. And because of the fast developments in electronic um platforms we can do yeah. that now we can simply refer to the to the current statutory guidelines that apply yeah and i i uh, should say up front i did a law degree graduated a few years ago and contracts was one of the reasons thank you <laughs> contracts was one of the reasons that i got into law because i used to work in the music industry and i used to negotiate intellectual property type um, deals with artists yeah. and and obviously recording agreements and that sort of thing and one thing that you've just said there i didn't have any idea about um, was that contracts don't need to be written um, and that your behavior, the, the party's behavior actually contributes to the contracts. And obviously Absolutely. equity is a, is a huge part of our contract law and um, things like estoppel and, and that sort of thing, which will be yeah. foreign to a lot of people listening. But And I think yeah. a lot of people don't realize that and they're sort of lulled into a false sense of security. We've also yeah. seen a lot of the contracts that we've, we've redrafted have clauses which are simply not legally binding. Yeah. Um, and that gives people a false sense of security that they have this agreement with this clause, but it's not real and it'll never stand up in court. Mm. So that's really, um, yeah. It's but that's just bad drafting. It's that's incredibly everywhere. common that we, we redo the contract in official form, send it to the client, and they say, uh, could you just pause for a minute because we're going to redo the entire contract because now that we've read it, we don't like it at all. <laughs> because they read it in a different way. Once it gets, once the focus is on the relational aspects and the values of the contract and, and the behavioral drivers, suddenly there's something in there that they don't like because it's not actually a very healthy relationship that's being outlined. And mm -hmm. so a lot of things change um, as we start to edit them and look at them from a different perspective, focusing on that relational values-based uh, relationship that you're supposed to have. So this is going to be a bit of a, a law nerd question now. Now, I'm not sure if these if there's been any reason for any of the contracts you've worked on to be interpreted by the court yet. Obviously, they say a picture says a thousand no, words. No, so, so complete no. dispute elimination. We're the victims of our own success. But in 2017, okay. we were very lucky to have the first comic book contract conference, and Robert French. Uh, Mm -hmm. very kindly agreed to give the closing address. And he made it very clear that as long as these images can be properly interpreted, he doesn't see any problem in having a comics instead of uh, other text-based contracts. In fact, he thinks it's a really healthy thing because it can express much more clearly what mm -hmm. people actually want as long as the interpretation um, is possible. So it is that interpretation that you've latched onto, Craig, definitely yeah. the key. Yeah. Um, and that's one of the reasons why we always, in the research projects, go very, very slowly, always do bespoke stuff, focus group testing to the max, ensuring that there is a mutual understanding across the different users and interfaces of what these images mean. Um, I, I yeah. can give you a really funny example. I mean, in the Oricon contract, that's now rolled out in seven different countries. Uh, the employment contract and one of the images for uh, maternity leave was a stork with a baby because it was nice and gender neutral um, <laughs> but in, in countries where they didn't have the stork people were wondering why the bird was abducting the baby <laughs> 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 so you have to be really careful with these images and not presume uh, or assume that they're going to be universally um, applicable across different regions or industries or population groups you need it's to about know your audience 
Yeah, absolutely. Mm. So, and, and so Peter works a lot with that as well. We look at the pain points in the contract. We know that we have to know the industry really well, not to fall into any visual traps that that industry has been trying to avoid. Like my favorite example is when we accidentally <laughs> uh, suggested an avatar, so a visual representation of a carer with a nurse's cap and, and um, waste, West Australia's individualized services for sponsoring that project or were very upset with that avatar because they've been trying for decades to get away from the notion that all carers are nurses. So mm -hmm. even though it was an intuitive drawing, it was completely wrong for them. Mm -hmm. And that's sort of what, what we mean by knowing your industry, not just your industry, your groups, your regions, but your audience very well. Yeah. And what's been your favorite or most memorable contract to create? I think, Oh, I don't know. What do you think, honey? I think it's the Dave the Handyman. <laughs> Quite possibly. Dave the Handyman is special because usually when we make a contract, we get a contract and we change mm -hmm. it. Dave the Handyman was just a local handyman in our community and he didn't have any contract. So the, his whole contract is just one page. Um, it's about the values, his guarantees, it has all the right insurances. It's six uh, illustrated pictures uh, and then he puts his quote on the back. It, it's so simple and so clean. <laughs> That's very and I cool. really, I really loved making it because it's it's entirely relational, and and there was no confines on on what he expected there to be in terms of content. We just we were able to negotiate just his values and the relationship that he wants to create with the client, and the key points of, of what should be expected. So we got to talk about mutual expectations from scratch, and that was just so liberating. And it was kind of proof of contract concept for what I do because we did the whole thing in fourteen days. Yeah, and it cost yeah. so. less than two thousand dollars to make so it was really yeah, yeah. dave was happy too <laughs> yeah. so but if you want to see it if you're listening at home you can see it on the alternative contracting website on www.alternativecontracting.biz there's an examples section yeah. and the dave the handyman contract is right there so mm. it kindly lets us uh, use it as an example and I've, yeah. I've lectured about it a lot i really i just i love that but i mean it's mm. like asking me to choose my favorite child, Courtney. Um, we have, <laughs> Sorry. You know, we have so many lovely contracts. And obviously, yeah. I love the Bankwest contract because it came with a lot of sponsorship, but they're very generously sponsoring other aspects of comic contracting as well. So got to love that one. Yeah. <laughs> but because we do much of the visualization, you have, I mean, I have some stick figure drawings in a big pile that is first draft for what we can use as an idea for this and then have like eight different versions. And then this final version that goes out for some artist is made beautiful and fantastic. Being excited to see the skeleton of my stick figures behind. Yeah. <laughs> That's a funny feeling. Yeah. <laughs> but people, we do a lot of interviews internationally as well. And we're very often asked, you know, if we can draw and absolutely not. We're terrible <laughs> drawing, both of us. Um, and it's also not our job to to draw we have artists to do that for us i have a whole think tank called applied comics for law which is run by Stuart medley out of ecu um so if we have a, an image issue we can convene the whole think tank and just talk through some specific issues about what how could you best illustrate this or that some of some of the challenges that we put to the think tank or, or even the individual artists on projects are really really huge um we're about to start a new project up where um, I've hired one of my artists to mentor younger ab Aboriginal artists who are going to be contributing to that contract, hopefully. So fingers crossed that that works out. Mm -hmm. um, but we haven't had projects that were the same. I wouldn't say there's a little bit of a process now that we, I mean, some standard approaches that we use in terms of identifying the real pain points and, and sitting down and finding out that we only want one person to voice everyone's opinion. We can't work in a committee. But we've, we've learned a lot from these projects in terms of processes, but no two projects have been the same. I wouldn't say, would you say? No, no. We, we're streamlining a bit, but um, yeah, they're all different. Because they're also all based on idea. You, you will make something and then you'll send it to the client and they will give you feedback and then you'll take the next step. But, but that process always depends on the client understanding what it is they're looking at. And quite often the client's understanding comes through the project. And they might have had an idea of what comic book contracting is, but seeing their own contracts translated is a process. So, so sometimes you have to go backwards from feedback back to step one, and there can be a bit of dance there. And it's different mm -hmm. for each client, their ambition levels. 
Mm-hmm. One thing that I would say that's been really gratifying over the last couple of years is we don't get as much pushback that we used to do. I think largely the Bank West contract has really opened the door for the legitimizing of these contract formats. Um, I, I haven't had a, a creative argument with in-house law or, or external law firm for years about why this isn't proper. Um, but in the beginning, it was a bit of an uphill struggle to convince everyone that this was okay. I think the inherent risk-averse nature of, of some lawyers made it very difficult for them to accept that this was the way forward. Actually, we were very. It's sorry? changed because early on it was always the lawyers we were worried would come in and, and be scared and stop the project. Now, half the time, it's the marketing division that suddenly realizes that the contract you're making will be the basis of the relationship. So they should have been making this art. And they're even going, wait, 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 the, the blue color is a little bit too light. You have to redo everything. <laughs> um, because they find themselves out of the loop. So, so now our focus is making sure we get marketing in as early as possible. So that, mm-hmm. Yeah, so we, we have to follow them. branding guidelines and color oh, yes. codes, font specifications. Font, oh, my font God. specifications. <laughs> well, well you, you work at UWA, so you'd be aware with the of the branding guidelines. <laughs> Oh my God! Yes, oh we've actually God, done guidelines. <laughs> we've actually done some work for UWA, um, but I don't think we can show it to you yet. But we are okay. working. Um, I'll, I'll be presenting um, to management some of the stuff that we've been doing. Mm-hmm. So we'll be rolling out a little avatar for UWA, both for staff regulations and, and for student guidelines as well. So we're yeah. testing the student rules um, on the first year psychology students. Mm-hmm. next semester so it's very okay. very exciting to see what they make of that so so yeah watch this space craig you could be looking at some <laughs> comic book regulations soon that sounds great just more more regulations but hopefully a bit easier to read <laughs> hopefully <laughs> uh, just a quick question about the a practical aspect of this do, do people and corporations using these still want to have a signed document even though it might be a graphic document so uh, we don't let them do that, uh, okay. to put it bluntly. I make that very clear at the outset that this contract has to replace the other contract. Um, one of my colleagues in South Africa, Robert Roy, who I mentioned before, um, he runs creative contracting and he has had one project where he, because they're, they're not sponsors, they're clients, he, he mm-hmm. does what they say. Um, he had one project where he produced both and he gave uh, the users the choice. It was for a school, and he printed out a big pile of the text base and a big pile of the of the comic book contracts. Nobody picked up the text base, which was really interesting. Mm-hmm. So in that one project where, where they, were, they were given a choice, nobody wanted it, even mm-hmm. though the client insisted that they had to have a choice. But there's a legal reason why I think it's a very bad idea to have two versions, because it would be nearly impossible to not have some interpretational vagueness between the simplicity yeah. of the comic book contract and the, yeah. the terms of the contract mm. that's not comic book and that has much more detail in it so i think if you have these conflicting versions of a contract you're walking into a dispute territory so, I, I was actually just, there was just a ruling was that in england where a judge ruled that the presence of an image uh, was more important than the words because it was easier to interpret yes so building on the Starbev mm-hmm. case uh, a court um, commercial courts in the uk found a conflicting term within a contract where an image, a visual representation of some uh, requirements was conflicting with the specifications in the contract itself. And the court ruled that the image more likely represented the actual intention of the parties and therefore the the text-based, which the other party was claiming should have been upheld, was not as valid as the image, which I thought was really, really powerful. Okay. So I think what I was um, originally getting at was not so much whether there'd be two alternative versions, but rather how how would you how would you indicate that both parties had agreed to the to the graphic contract? Sign it. So, sign so it. They would, it's just they like would normal, sign. normal. The last page usually has my name and, and date and my signature. If, okay. If it's so, it so it, it is a normal contract. It's just yeah. It's just enhanced with visuals. Okay, <laughs> that's one way of putting it, and and, and with a lot less text. <laughs> and a lot less, and, and the text is now in, in everyday English, so it's it's <laughs> also restructured so that it has a flow that makes intellectual sense. So you can like read it, not mm. like a book, obviously, but but arguments mm. follow in a logical manner, so it's easier to assimilate. Mm-hmm. And it doesn't have to exist in a, in the physical plane. I know that sounds a bit silly, but the Oricon contract which i keep referring to um 
for instance, it's it's entirely in an electronic form. It houses all the onboarding buttons. So you actually click the buttons as you're signing up and you have to do your training before you can sign the contract. You then sign it electronically uh, and then that is stored on your um, on your special place that human resources run. Mm-hmm. And you we've been able to monitor the fact that people are actually referring to their contracts a lot because they are the interface with all the training as well. So if people want to go back and retrain, they go through their contract because that's the framework of their entire relationship. Um, so it's it's working as, as an electronic framework. Mm. And that, yeah, so signed electronically only. Well, the paper ones are too, because Robert DeRoy, who did these amazing um, contracts for illiterate fruit pickers in South Africa, they found that all the workers had the contract in their back pocket and if they were ever in doubt what to do, they brought up the contract and looked at the pictures. It saves an incredible amount of time, but it was like they had their full money in their pocket when they needed help. Yeah. So there's yeah. almost this um, empowerment for clients that sign these contracts because they actually understand what they're signing into. Um, yes. Absolutely. Do you think that has helped uh, clients feel better about contracts and overall maybe yes. long-term improve their outcomes in certain things? So is that part so of the I research that you do on these contracts? I can prove that they like it better. So the three categories that we are systematically examining when we do the research impact is comprehension. So we can we have tested and we're building on uh, some research that's been done in Finland as well by Stefania Passera, who wrote her PhD on the, the images in law and how powerful they are. So we know that there is much better comprehension. Interestingly, um, one of the things I've learned is that the, the images and text are stored in different parts of the brain. But if you stimulate both at the same time, it then increases your, your comprehension and your recollection by many hundreds of percents because you're, you're sparking up different parts of the brain so it's better for recollection. So that's really interesting. So we know that they understand it better. We know that they remember it better. So comprehension, it, it scores very high. Uh, we also know that they are engaging with this. So engagement is the second category that we're looking at from a research perspective. People enjoy the process of, of engaging with this. And so they do. Uh, we can time it electronically when we're focus group testing how long people spend on each page. Instead of just scrolling to the bottom and clicking, I've, I've read and agreed, they're actually Guilty. <laughs> Guilty. Oh, God, everyone does that. <laughs> but if you're yeah. presented with a, with a relative novelty of a comic book contract, most people will actually take the time to read it, uh, which, again, improves comprehension if you actually read it. <laughs> yeah. Um, but we also have perception. Now, initially, I put the perception into the into the psychometric testing because I was a little bit paranoid that people were going to find it patronizing. Um, and they wouldn't like it. Uh, but what we've seen instead is that perception is the category where the difference in testing between the text-based and the image-based is the highest in terms of a positive improvement. So that has gone completely off the charts. Mm-hmm. Um, Bankwest did a wordle of, of some of the words that people were using to describe this contract and they, when they, we first started the research a few years ago. And it was things like, you know, amazing, insightful beautifully transparent and and thank god someone's finally trying to to explain to me what's actually going on um they they tested it with over two and a half uh, thousand potential customers and we only had one piece of qualitative feedback that was sort of quasi-negative and it was a young male um, who identified between 20 and 25 years who said that yes well it's not my cup of tea but i'm sure most of your customers would like it so, <laughs> I, I teach young males like this sometimes and, and I think with a bit of maturity he'll he'll chill and, and he'll appreciate an easier life with an easier contract mm. maybe I don't know it, it um, seems, but it is so, sorry, go on, sorry? I was just going to say it seems like the, the primary target for these is situations where there's maybe a, a company dealing with an individual like a consumer or someone mm-hmm. a service user um, do you uh, have you had any buy-in from corporations that are dealing with other corporations who usually have big legal departments and they love drafting, you know, hundred page documents and, and that sort of thing, or have, are you working on that still? So I actually had a, a project that took off uh, where I was allowed to experiment with Oricon's real client base. So they're construction contracts. So between, and these are usually com- commercial agreements, business to business but unfortunately, uh, because of staff changes and COVID and everything else that happened, they pulled the plug on the project. Um, but so it's, it, 
I'm hoping we can resume that because it is something that I would very much like to explore from a research perspective. Mm. Um, because some of these contracts, obviously, they have to have a lot of detail when we're talking about construction. Um, but the framework around all the detail that needs to go in there could, I think, and should be much more simple. The idea with this project was that they would try to sell themselves with easier, transparent law. Um, and I don't know if you've, I'm going to bring it back to Bank West now because they have, of course, had a whole advertising campaign built around the the transparency of their visual contracts yep. calling it less bs uh, less bank stuff yeah <laughs> and, and it, it's become such a powerful marketing tool this transparent law now that the research has its own silo so my comic book contracts team now works with uh, professor sharon Birchess over in business school who leads their marketing department there um and we have a an ra looking exclusively at the, the marketing potential and transparent law, which is so interesting. So these comic book contracts have become a platform. For Can that. I answer the question completely opposite? Yep. <laughs> because my, my, um, we were in Holland at one point giving a speech at a giant law firm, and they had hired artists, and they were illustrating all their contracts, including the internal ones, because the human brain works on images. That's, we remember images thousands of times better than we remember words. So even if you don't change anything in the contract, if you just assign this contract know, a picture of an eagle on all the documents, you will remember it better. You'll be able to, to remember that, oh, this document here fits to that contract instantly. Um, so just a handful of picture changes, even if you don't change the words, will make um, it much easier for people to remember the contract, which if you're looking at a you know, 250,000-page government construction contract could be rather vital. <laughs> yeah, and definitely I think it will work, but I, I still haven't had a project brought to completion for business to business. Um, but there's a lot of interest in it. Mm -hmm. I mean, the, the, uh, the Defense Department and government have been sniffing around because they're very interested in this. Um, the Education Department also interested in looking at how we can make regulations for the commercial subletting of school areas and, and there's a lot of interest in this but just not yet have a project there which is looking Come forward on to needs that. to be the quote unquote uh, guinea pig yeah, yeah. yeah. and I, I have the perfect I had the perfect guinea pig lined up but then unfortunately COVID and staff shut out of maze hi we hope you're enjoying this episode if you have a minute and enjoy the conversations we bring you it'd be great if you could go to wherever you get your podcasts and give us a quick rating and review not only do we love to get your feedback, but it also helps other people to find us. Thank you. And now back to the show. Do you get the impression that some of the pushback you may get from people in practice is, is you know, lawyers maybe scared that they're going to be out of a job if contracts become more efficient? <laughs> maybe. I mean, the, the dispute elimination might sound like we're putting lawyers out of jobs, but the good lawyers will tell you that the disputes that we're eliminating are the ones they don't want anyway. The little ones, yeah. the annoying ones, the, the ones that, that tie up their time and that always get settled anyway because they're not really worth having. So yeah. those are the ones that we're getting rid of. Um, yeah. And, well, and right now we can hear them all. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's true. Um, but, I mean, surely that can't last. We'll, yeah. we'll see what happens. But, uh, and if we do go into the bigger commercial space, then, of course, it becomes higher stakes. Yeah. Um, but, then might be a little bit different. But I think lawyers are not in the business of making disputes for the hell of it. Quite the opposite. We're very risk averse. We want to create contracts mm. that are watertight, that are fulfilled and, and that are confer conformed with because we don't want disputes. Um, I mean, yeah. the best law firms that embrace this and can present dispute-eliminating contracts to their clients will have clients willing to pay them more money. And the They're law never going to make that promise. <laughs> and the law firms who can't produce this product, they might disappear. And that's that's the nature of business. Yeah, yeah, that's true. I'm, I'm I mean, no looking... one's ever going to promise a dispute no. eliminate contract. <laughs> <laughs> but we have actually talked about um, working in some conflict clauses whereby dispute it, dispute resolution is tackled very in a very novel way. So mm. we we will try to ensure a more gentle dispute resolution as part of that relationship. So ensuring more communication channels and, and different ways. We had a really interesting idea. It, it didn't come out in the end, but we had a really interesting idea for a, a partnering contract where 
um, people who would normally compete with each other partner up to collaborate instead. And we were putting into that contract clauses like, you know, weekly football games as a contractual obligation to ensure communication and that the honeymoon isn't over because that's apparently one of the biggest pain points in partnering contracts is after a while the novelty wears off and then communication sort of peters out. And, you know, how, how do you keep the romance alive in a commercial <laughs> relationship? Yeah. No, I'm looking forward to the day where uh, judges need to have an art degree so they can interpret the pictures. <laughs> the intention. That the is pictures. actually one of the reasons we make all the pictures bespoke, that we're very scared of developing a legal language where you have to interpret the pictures in a specific way because we've developed this legalese in pictures. So every mm. contract is getting its own bespoke images that are never used for anything else so, mm. so that you don't need an art degree. You just need, you know... Yeah. <laughs> But it's a good Eyes. point. Yeah, but it is a good yeah. point. And, and we're trying very hard to make him as simple and as, as, as non-challenging to interpret as possible. Yeah. There are a number of contracts where the image itself embodies the obligation or, or the behavioral driver. Um, but we test those very, very carefully. And even in, in, in Peter's FAST projects that he talks about, we have to have quite a lot of, of testing within the co company to make sure that everyone agrees on image mm -hmm. interpretation. We, we, don't, the, we don't want it to be difficult. We were at the Dutch Art Museum at one point, and there was this beautiful picture, I always like referring to these talks, of, of a bunch of people having a picnic by the river and the sun. And from our perspective, that does look like a lovely day out. And one of the people has a little pet monkey on a golden chain, so he has a pet. However, if you're in a 16th century and you're Dutch, you know that a monkey on a chain is symbolic of a human that has become an animal by being a slave to his earthly oh, desires. So the people are having a picnic by the river. They're sinning. Instead of working and bettering themselves, they're wasting the day eating and drinking <laughs> to excess by the river. This is a warning picture of people going straight to hell. That tiny little monkey in the corner of the picture. <laughs> and 16th century Holland, that would have been obvious to everyone. <laughs> Yeah. Mm, it's crazy how different things are interpreted based on yeah. culture and culture, understanding yeah. and all that Very kind of true. stuff. Yeah. We had another example of that with the, the National Hardship Register that we worked with about five years ago. So at the beginning of the project, one of the first ones that we did, uh, my, my illustrator, Louis Silvestro, and I were both of European origin. And in order to illustrate financial hardship, we put the, so the naked man in a barrel complete with his little skinny legs that are a bit hairy and so it's 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 apparently it comes from the old jerome jerome poem that nobody reads anymore <laughs> um but to us it was like oh, of course yeah, man in a barrel so, screams yeah. po poverty that must be universal no but then when we took it to the, when we took it to the australian um sponsors they were like uh what? a french wine barrel i imported to west australia two thousand dollars a pop if you're wearing that you're showing off <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I was about. I wasn't going to interrupt, but like, I had no idea what that was. So yeah, that's, yeah, it's it's very interesting how all of that influences. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, and that's the problem with you know assumptions that you don't know you're making them. I just oh yeah, everyone knows what that is, right? Yeah, let's mm. not check. <laughs> yeah, that's and that's how we learn to check the images very carefully. Yeah, mm. and I, I think that's really um, applicable to what you 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 mentioned that having some Aboriginal people work with you. I think that's going to be key to making these contracts culturally appropriate, you know, for Absolutely. the Aboriginal community. Absolutely, and this is this is a very important project. I, I don't think we can talk too much about it because we haven't actually been commissioned to do it yet. Yep. But it's a very important project doing something for the community, and it's important to the community that the images speak to them in the right language of, of, mm. of images. And so, we, and we oh. also like the idea of mentoring younger artists. Yeah. So I, I think, yeah. So fun enough, that project is one of the hardest and easiest at the same time because it's one of the only projects we've ever done where we know exactly who our target audience is. Mm. So we don't have to be culturally vague. We don't have to take into account what people on the opposite side of the world might interpret mm. as images. It's a very, very tightly aimed. So we can yeah. be culturally specific in our language for this specific yeah. contract. Mm. That really helps because then you can narrow it down to a specific visual yeah. voice or spirit, if, if you will. Otherwise, often what we have to do is we have to think about inclusiveness in the imagery. Like if we design an avatar for for the clients of a given service or, or the employees for an employment contract, we have to come up with an image that doesn't say, you know, men only, mm. um, skinny yeah. people only, white people only. We have to completely gender, race uh, neutral 
age mm-hmm. neutral. Um, with the waste contract, we also had to be disability neutral in that the waste uh, individualized services contract was meant to ensure that people who needed care workers in the home could hire them themselves more easy. Uh, mm-hmm. But the people who need care workers could have a mental disability or a physical disability. It had to be incredibly open, the imagery in question. Um, mm. So we designed these little scrollies, uh, the employer and the employee. Uh, and that, yeah, in the end, that worked well. But that's actually what the think tank was originally created for, because cracking the avatar problem, is, which is the word that we use for the visual representations of the clients and, and their clients, mm. such a big one, usually huge. Yeah. Okay. So that's probably a really good point for us to to switch our conversation slightly um, and talk about soon as we're a health podcast, how this might be used in the health sector. <laughs> oh yeah, make it relevant. Why don't we? <laughs> <laughs> well, the, the obvious one are, are the medical consent forms. We're working on several at, at the moment. Because, yeah. I mean, so both. Can you give consent to something you don't understand? Yeah. Yeah, so that's in everyone's interest to ensure that there is 100% transparency around what is given consent for, not just for the consentee, but also for the person or in organization receiving the consent so that they can no longer be accused of of trying to, to fool people with fine print into signing over anything that uh, potentially could be a problem in a dispute in a courtroom. And we want to eliminate that problem for everyone by making it very, very clear what's being consented to. And it works really well in that context. So we've got a number of research organizations that we are doing consent medical research for. Um, That's taken off very, very quickly. We had one um, about 10 um, months ago, and I I don't think it's a problem that I mentioned that. So the RAIN study um, allowed us to work with their medical consent form, and we're just about to roll that out in focus group testing in a couple of weeks' time. So that's very exciting. for IP reasons, which you will understand, Craig, uh, a lot of our uh, research projects now, they start through alternative contracting. So the images are privately created, so they are owned by the person who are buying them. And then when they go to a research project, UWA doesn't have to worry about the IP of the mm. images that's created. So we then test it and implement it, fine-tune it, but the ownership of the images is not an issue in terms of, of what they can do with those images so, yeah. yeah, a smart little loophole, a lawyer's loophole on the IP issue yeah. um, of these contracts, but it, it works really well. So the RAIN study um, is nearly finished. Mm-hmm. Alex, so Peter has let it go a while back. So I keep calling him Alex because that's my name for him. <laughs> His name is Peter Alexander. So if you're wondering, uh, yeah. it's, not a, it's, it's not a fake name. No. <laughs> you're talking about the pajama, the pajama guy. <laughs> yes, exactly. I was quite disappointed when I found out the shop made for me to sell pajamas. You could, but you to could bring actually... it back to, to the health world, I mean, the applications that we're currently working on are consent forms for both mental health treatment, uh, consent forms for uh, medical procedures, but also primarily, actually, consent forms for medical research involvement which is mm-hmm. interesting. That's where the biggest focus of these consent forms in health is at the moment. So one of the ideas that I can kind of see in terms of the medical research is for randomised control trials where you're trying to uh, bring people into a study when, like, for example, they've come into hospital, they're very, very sick, they develop something, and then that brings them into a research study to look at interventional treatments is that the kind of research um things that you're talking about yeah okay yeah that's really Amongst interesting other things, so one of one of the projects is very much like that mm-hmm. um i can't talk about it because they don't want us to talk about it yet yeah. um but it, it's, it's a very large medical project that's going to be helping people in an acute situation where they, they they'll need to sign over right now to get the experimental treatment um so that they can be part of a research study and then explaining to, to people quickly, succinctly and transparently why they should, why that might be in their interest and why it might not be yeah. is, is a very important task, I but think. I, mm. I also think that lots of people who are scared of hospitals because of the feeling of powerlessness go into a hospital and things just happen and maybe you get better and maybe they tell you something horrible. Um, but, but these contracts always empower people because they make you feel in control. They make you feel you understand what's going on. So I think from a fear level, they're inherently very useful in a hospital setting because of their yeah. empowering qualities. 
Mm. I mean, I, we had a very, we're currently talking to some researchers on the East Coast about helping them with their uh, research consent forms. And they work in genomics. And there are incredibly complex details that need to be communicated to the participants in their studies, which can be illustrated to suddenly not be so complicated. Um, so looking both at what has to happen, the procedures, but also looking at, at the information around what that does just becomes easier if you're allowed to use images. And why wouldn't you be? Also, when we make a contract, usually it's some kind of welcome. And then we start by explaining why. Why are you buying this product for us? Why are you working for us? Or why are we doing this procedure to you? And yeah, usually, so we call that... <laughs> oh, go on. But usually that ends up at the bottom of the contract. Quite often, that's on like page 18, why we're actually doing it. But if you tell people, oh, no, we're doing this to help you this way, or because your research data can save children's lives right at the beginning, it, it's a better book to have people read the contract. So we call that the values. So it's part of the value-based contracting movement, which is happening everywhere, also in word-based contracts, is to identify the values of, of the relationship and the contract and also the, the corporations involved. And m many, I would say most, I don't have the statistics on that actually, but the vast majority of the contracts I've worked on have stuck the values of the corporation right up right front up. Um, so that it becomes very identifiable and it almost humanizes a corporation when they do it that way mm -hmm. and we've also had some contracts that then uh, force the the employee to take little uh, surveys to find out their own values as part of the contracting um, experience mm. yeah interesting so i hadn't actually thought of it from the other the other angle i my initial thoughts with these types of contracts with uh in a medical setting for example is it would help the the patient you know understand the procedures and whatnot better i never thought about you know medical negligence and possibly mm. you know getting operating on the wrong limb and that sort of stuff which does happen you know sometimes <laughs> from does. time to time whereas if you've got a picture in front of you the doctor has a picture of which arm it's supposed to be or which or, which organs yeah. getting transplanted or, not that one <laughs> <laughs> then you th you'd think they wouldn't but they'd be less likely to make that mistake, right? Well, we haven't done any contracts that are that unique for, for each contract to individually describe the procedure. Um, but it, it is worth remembering that it is in everyone's interest to create a transparent relationship. Mm. Um, and the doctor depends on you answering questions like, you know, do you have diabetes or things before they start giving you medicine? The, the clearer yeah. that... The filling out your medical conditions are the more likely that they won't accidentally kill you. Yeah, pretty much. One of the you go, Craig. I was just going to say, especially in Australia, where we don't have a, a mandatory electronic record, you know, for people's health at the moment. Yeah. So there is, it is yeah. open to kind of misinterpretation. That's what I was going to say. Is one of the <laughs> one of the things. Um, that can be quite difficult is people remembering what medication they're on and when they go to hospital, they kind of go, oh, I take a white pill and a red pill uh, every day and doctors are like, I have no idea what that is. Uh, so like contraindication between medicines that like yeah. a simple message of bring your medicines with you could very easily be take, put into take contracts a picture and of, things. Take a take picture, picture of all your medicines. Yeah. Yeah. There's, yeah. There's, so I'm spitballing here because we haven't done it yet, but in con employment contract we've seen we've seen onboarding, so so training for new hires um, get much much faster. And I can imagine if these contracts work, the amount of time doctors and nurses will have to spend explaining yeah. things to patients will dramatically jump, and, and yeah. the doc doctors and nurses can spend that time on something more valuable. That's actually the one of the KPIs on one of my projects is to reduce explanation time uh, for medical staff to patients. So that's really interesting. So we'll be measuring that if that project takes off. That's one of the things that we're going to be looking at in the impact study in the years after its implementation. I think one of the best things about your project as a researcher is that it's just going to create a whole lot more research. <laughs> yeah, pretty much. And also just creates more jobs for artists as well. Like, that's amazing. That too. Um, I, was, I was actually asked to come and talk at the sort of the, the academic extension of ComCon. <laughs> I never thought that would ever happen. That's cool. Um, yeah. I'm recruit artists. So, yeah, it's really cool. There's a, an avid interest for this in the art world as well. 
Um, but yeah, but I, I was thinking about something else. So um, I, I, I think we can probably talk about the contract that we launched in another podcast a few weeks ago, can't we, Peter? Oh, yeah, sure. Good, because it's one of your clients, so I didn't want to take the liberty. Um, oh, but, yeah, someone can. Yeah, yeah but the, it, the construction contracts that are being um, negotiated, one of the biggest fears is the image of the construction business and, and the cowboys and, and, the, and the bad people yeah. out there. So identifying yourself as somebody with transparency is, is in everyone's interest. But, but you, you tell it better than me. <laughs> well, well, I've, I've done uh, the, the construction schedules for uh, building a new home um, for one of the uh, building corporations. Uh, and again, yeah, it's about transparency. It's about, you know, if you are going to build your own house, there's a huge risk involved in that, theoretically. But actually, if you follow all the procedures and all the right insurances and, and the government institutions, that risk is very much minimized. But it is a very... That contract is very much about steps, right? There's an, a million small steps and papers that have to be filed in the right order and procedures. And reading through it, when I read through it the first time, I think I got 12 separate stacks of documents that had to be glued together. Um, and now it's 12 pages illustrated because, you know, if you need things going in the right order, arrows pointing back and forth and people passing documents is a lot easier to show visually than it is by writing mm. it. Mm. Yeah, I'll tell you. Oh, that reminds me. Um, another client that I can't talk about, another sponsor. <laughs> 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 um, Peter has just completed the visualization of, of one of their uh, interest calculation mechanisms for this particular product. And the client, when they saw it, they were like, oh, yeah, that really is complicated. We should change that. <laughs> <laughs> it took a long, long time. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It was so, and they were so impressed with the fact that he'd actually managed to visually represent what it was about. And they saw it. And, and then when they saw it in its purest scaled back form, they're like, yeah, it doesn't have to be that complicated. Let's change that. Mm. We'll, right. we'll be back. <laughs> So yeah, that's, they have a bigger a bigger use than just the contract. Obviously, it's part of their business model as well. Yeah, and yeah. that transparency is, is proving to be incredibly attractive to industry generally because it is in everyone's interest that that we're all on the same page. We've seen in law in Australia, we've seen an increasing amount of um, applications of the Small and Medium Enterprise Act, where commercially companies are told that their agreements aren't binding because they weren't clear enough. So even though you have a signed contract with a clause in it, giving you a certain right, if it's considered a little bit onerous or not transparent enough, bam, it's not binding. Now that's frightening. And that should lead everyone to want more transparent contracts, more simple contracts, so that nobody can say, oh, I didn't understand that properly, as mm. a defense to doing their obligations. But there was yeah. a, we were talking to the dean of Oxford at one point. She told the story that there'd been a trial recently in England where the judge had made the observation that this complicated contract between two huge multinationals, neither CEO could possibly have read it. The only people who could read this were their law firms, which weren't technically part of the case. So how was he supposed to rule on it? None, neither side knew what it said. <laughs> <laughs> and that is such a good point. <laughs> proves how far, how, how far law has spun out of the realms of, of proper application. We're supposed to be creating frameworks for collaboration for the people who are signing them, not gobbledygook that we think is amazing because only we can understand it. Yeah. That is not the point of good contract lawyering. No, that's right. It's, so it seems to me this whole thing is underpinned by communication. And, yes, and absolutely. that's, you know, in research these days and communicating research and what we call research translation, you know, where we present our findings to a wider audience, you know, the use of infographics and, and numbers instead of words and stuff like that to, to illustrate, you know, what, what something's doubled in risk or something's, you know, taking twice as long or that sort of thing is, is becoming more and more kind of an expectation, you know, for academics who have been crunching numbers, you know, rather than just some sort of really complicated, you know, num numbers that they've got in and, and graphs and whatnot. Now, Absolutely. You, you really are expected to communicate more clearly. Uh, Australia you know? now has the highest cost of business anywhere in the world for law. Like, Australia yeah, has spent more money on, on their legal services than anywhere else in the world. We've left that yeah. act behind in the dust and that is not yeah. a good thing. 
Well done, Australia. The thing is that, that the problem with it's women is, is that, yeah, and the issue is that it's not necessary that there's more people getting jobs as lawyers. They're expecting the same number to do more hours, you know, a lot of the time. Yeah, which is why they're quite happy so. for us to get rid of this, the little disputes that nobody wants. <laughs> Yeah. Um, but I'll tell you something yeah. else that I, I think I've just sort of had a thought as, as you were talking, Craig. I, I'm not trying to condemn my own industry. Obviously, the legal profession is marvelous and, and fabulous, and there are some incredibly clever people doing important stuff. <laughs> but there are some significant issues with, with communication. I think at the moment, I head up this large research project team, and we have these silos in engineering and psychology and marketing. And I've just hired an RA from Population Health. Why? Because she's a science communicator. Mm-hmm. It turns out, and I didn't even know this until I met this lovely young lady, that there is such a thing as science communication that people yeah. specialize in how to communicate health and medical science. Mm. We don't have that in law. We so what I'm working on now, yeah, absolutely. Mm-hmm. So what I'm working on now is trying to get this young lady convincing her to do a PhD in legal communication mm-hmm. so that we can okay. develop and borrow from the other disciplines some tools for simplifying our communication skills or at the very least thinking more carefully about things like plain language and visual inclusion and communications because there's no mm-hmm. such thing as legal communication as a discipline. But that's so shocking because literally all we have in law is words and now also images. So, <laughs> so it's just, yeah, it's, it's so interesting that there ain't no such thing as that, but there definitely needs to be. Um, and, and we're yeah. trying to make that very clear with what we're doing. Oh, excellent. Um, well, before we wrap up, Courtney, did you have any final questions or comments? I don't think so. Uh, I'm sure that I have many questions, but they'll all come to me in about 10 minutes' time when we sign off. They'll be our second You're always welcome to yeah. email or read. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. But we thank you for... Uh, a lot. <laughs> yeah, no, yeah, we can. And we do. I mean, we're, we're very fortunate in that, that we really... We do a lot of blogs and pod- podcasts and interviews worldwide. It's really captured a lot of people's imagination, this project, which is great. And it, I think it just proves how necessary it is to try and rethink legal communication and to embrace imagery. From our point things of like view, that. this can grow forever, right? Yeah. yeah, I mean, it's currently growing into... To some degree. It's true. Yeah. And my but, research is yeah. also growing into uh, legal regulations, so visualizing an international convention in two and a half hours i'll be talking to the united nations commission on trade law Mm -hmm. uh, which is sort of my that was my daytime job before i got sucked into all this legal design stuff um but i'm talking to them about the potential development of a visual international sales law because the international sales law applies throughout 97 different countries it represents Mm -hmm. three-fourths of the world's trade um, and that is um, business to business. If we can visualize that, make it easier for business users to at a glance understand what this law um, prescribes or suggests, because it's not a prescriptive statute. It's None of it is mandatory, but it will apply if nothing else is, is um, agreed between the parties. So if we can make that illustrated, then that's, that will be a whole new chapter in, in this legal design stuff. Comic book yeah. regulations, can you imagine? <laughs> Sorry, carry on, Peter. Um, this, one of the things that happen when, when we do these virtual contracts, all of them is that the reason we, we talk about dispute elimination is that when people have a problem, and they still occasionally have problems, instead of phoning a lawyer, they phone the other party in the contract because the contract has made it clear that the other party is willing to communicate. And, and that applies universally. So, so it, that's it actually leads what happens to mediation instead of legislation. Well, it does, mm. sometimes it doesn't even lead to mediation because a simple communication or a simple yeah. conversation can do yeah. it before the mediation. But that's actually that's what uh, what Mansfam and Holm proved. That's why they were given a Nobel Prize in 2017. That relational contracting is incredibly useful. They did an economic uh, grid where they showed how much money is saved because most disputes are solved internally and amicably and as, as and when they arise. Anyone who's been into a marketing school will know that the first thing they're taught is customer complaints is the best thing that can happen because then you can prove your customer service. Mm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, resolve, resolve yeah. it before it festers. Yeah. Cool. But thank yeah. you so much for letting us talk about our 
our oh. mission. <laughs> I was going to say, we, we should have a verbal contract to do another episode when you've got some more research to talk about, research findings. Yeah. <laughs> well, you start drawing, Craig, and I'll, see, I'll tell you what I think. <laughs> yeah, okay. Perfect. <laughs> All right, thanks very much for your time. Guys, it's been wonderful. Thanks welcome. so much. Bye. Yes. Bye. And that was our conversation with Camilla and Peter from Comic Book Contracting and UWA Law School. And hopefully you found the answer to your question of whether <laughs> that actually relates to health or not. Um, <laughs> There's so many applications for something like this. They're obviously just beginning, um, yep. even though they said, I think they said six years they've been Some, running for six like years. Something like that, yeah. Um, which may seem like a long time, but mm. it really is just beginning. And there's yeah, it's so many different ways you could use this format yeah. to explain things, not yeah. even just contracts, like that's anything. It. Yeah, that's it. You know, it's as, as we sort of concluded there by the end, it was, it's about communication. Yeah. Essentially, it's an exercise in communicating better. And more clearly. Pretty much. And the fact that um, uh, law don't have essentially translators, because that's what they would be, translators of of law stuff to what normal people would understand, normal in quotes, uh, is crazy that they didn't have that already implemented. And it was quite heartening to hear that Camilla's employed someone from Population Health to to communicate their findings yeah yeah we should actually ask her but yeah we don't neither of us know yeah no i I thought of asking and i was like i don't know whether it's official (laughs) yet or not otherwise they probably would have said the name so yeah Yeah. (laughs) pretty much oh well we hope everyone enjoyed that conversation and if if you did or didn't and want to let us know either way feel free to get in touch with us you can email email us at meaning of health at outlook.com or you can tweet us at health means what so yeah we'd love to chat uh, about anything and everything feedback pros cons you don't like us that's fine just let us know we'd love yeah. to have a chat with you <laughs> yeah and we can we can form a, a visual agreement not, yeah we'll make a comic out of it yeah not to get back in touch yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> all right we'll speak to you soon Meaning of Health podcast is produced with the support of the Education Enhancement Unit and the School of Population and Global Health at the University of Western Australia. The podcast is produced by Craig Cumming and Courtney Webber with editing, mixing and additional music by Craig Cumming. Meaning of Health.